Good morning, church. Hey, what a great time to be with you guys this morning to celebrate our risen Savior, one with another, the family of God together, like we do every Sunday morning. But I know that uh, God is working in powerful ways in your life, and uh, you're seeing the, the fruit of your following, so to speak, each and every day as you live Jesus out with those around you, whether family, co-workers, friends, neighbors, whoever that might be. I know God is doing powerful things in your life uh, this year so far as we lean into the idea that God is enough and Jesus Christ has done enough for us. You and I want to lean into uh, heavy, uh, the blessing that God has for us, and uh, we do that and can gain in that by following Jesus Christ, making sure that we are everything that we can be and what he's created us to be. Thanks for being here to, this morning to celebrate that. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us. I know we've got baby blessing this morning, and that means uh, some extra family members are in the audience, and we appreciate you being here to uh, celebrate the lives of those babies and how uh, we as a church want to pour into those young kids and remind them of who they are in Christ and to start building a platform for them uh, to begin to live a productive, wonderful life in Christ Jesus. Uh, I want to encourage you as well uh, to get involved in ministry. There's a bulletin, hopefully you picked one up, a number of ways that you can get involved with your passion set, your gift set that God's given you to tell that story of Jesus Christ in different ways. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can be involved here and, uh, and get involved in that story of Christ. One uh, thing I want to remind you about is that two weeks ago we finished up a, a series called Enough and we finished up with the idea that you are enough to make a difference in someone's life. Uh, if you remember, we had uh, a tree out in the commons. It's still out there. And I ask you guys to grab a wooden pen uh, and think about one name all year long that you want to think about, that you want to pray for, somebody you want to lean into all year long to bring them closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and so you either wrote an initial or a first name on that pen and pinned it to the tree. If you haven't got to do that yet, I want to encourage you to do that as you leave today. That tree's located just out uh, by the fr uh, front door as you exit, and you'll be able to stop there and do that. I want to encourage you to make that happen today. We're in a brand new series we started last week uh, called DNA, and last week we began talking about the idea that Jesus Christ's DNA should be the same as your DNA. If you're a follower of Christ, we're called to live out his nature and character in every possible way of our life, that when Jesus came, he was focused on the mission that had been given him, his purpose in life. And so last week, we also talked about the focus that you and I should have in our life, being people who follow Jesus Christ, who want to live what he's called us to live in our life uh, for those around us. Today, I want to talk about being intentional, living on purpose, uh, to know that you've been called to a certain purpose by God in your life, to tell that story of hope to the number of people you come in contact with each and every day. Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a very intentional life. He was very intentional about talking about the kingdom of God is here, that forgiveness has been offered that God has pursued each and every one of us through history because he wants us to be his, his kids, his children, his sons and daughters. Uh, and so we too want to live out that intentional purpose in life to say uh, we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. But you know, with our DNA, there are things that happen in our life, things that are part of who we are that we can't get rid of. They'll always be there. Uh, I did uh, 20 years in youth ministry, as many of you already know, 
uh, and that meant uh, some weekends uh, living in a tent on a, on a camp out. That meant a, a week typically or more uh, at a church camp, uh, playing all kinds of sports and sleeping in a very strange bed. There are mission trips that we have gone on and have been absolutely exhausting, and sometimes I sounded like that at the end of those uh, trips. Uh, but uh, you know, every now and then I would get home uh, during a summer, and typically at the very end of the summer, I would take a trip to the chiropractor. I said, I need, need that back adjusted just a little bit. I need to get things right again. And over my years in, in youth ministry, I went to three different chiropractors, and each time they would begin working on me, get to the legs and down by the feet, because uh, the feet are attached to the legs. That's kind of how it rolls. Um, but uh, they would get down there and they would say, hey, do you know that one, one leg is a little longer than the other one? And the first time I heard that, I thought, well, no, I've never heard that. It's kind of interesting. But I played sports in high school. I ran track. I continue to run uh, occasionally as an adult. I try to run a 5K every year. Uh, but I've made those compensations that needed to happen, I guess, along the way. You can't really tell. It's ever so slight. But there is uh, some deficiency in one leg, I guess. It's a little shorter than the other. And you've had those moments where you've discovered some things like that. The DNA in your life has created you a certain way, and you can't really change it. That's just how it is. For most of us, too, thinking about our past life, there are some things in our past that are some regrets, aren't there? Some things that we wished we could change and make different. But the fact is, it's part of our history. It's who we are. There are some things that we have said in the past, some things we've done, some folks we've hung out with, some experiences that we had we just wished had never ever been a part of who we are, but yet we look at our past and there they sit, those regrets, part of our DNA, part of our makeup, so to speak. Uh, Sometimes we can move on from those, but I think a lot of times we end up parking our car there, hanging our hat there, and we just kind of circle around that regret, and it's difficult to forget about it, to leave it behind, because we wished it hadn't happened. But But yet it does. And for you, maybe there's been some things like that in your life, some regrets. For instance, maybe last week, wasting your time watching a a Super Bowl game. Maybe that was was a regret of yours. I don't know. Uh, Some folks thought they had it won. Other people, Damon, was glad of the outcome. I mean to call you out like that. But maybe in your life, you, you think about your career. You regret not spending more time with your kids when they were little, but you felt the job was calling. Maybe, maybe you regret not being more compassionate with your spouse. Maybe you regret being angry with your coworkers more times than you really care to count. Maybe there have been moments in your life when you regret, man, I wish I'd never taken that first drink because it led me to a series of events created an addiction. Maybe in your life you you regret going to that website and you wish you'd never gone there. You you regret the the abortion that occurred. You you regret the harsh words that were said among family and friends. And you and I have things in our past that we wished weren't there, but yet they're part of our DNA. Good or bad, they make up who we are today. We can make a decision as we're going to look at here in a moment in Philippians chapter 3. I hope you've got your Bibles with you. We'll be there momentarily. That Paul reminds us, listen, you can either hang your hat on the regrets of the past or you can lean forward into the story that God has for you. The joy, the peace, the excitement of following Jesus Christ. That's all for you if you want to have it. But you and I have to make a decision to intentionally pursue something better. 
you and I have to make a decision to leave behind the mistakes of the past and lean into what God wants us to have through his son, Jesus Christ, the excitement, the joy, and the peace that only Jesus Christ can offer. Well, as mentioned last week, there was uh, a letter that was written to the church in Philippi from Paul. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's chained 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. They switch out four times a day, and so uh, he's got four different opportunities to share the kingdom message that is Jesus Christ. He's still working in the process, and also part of that is the church in Philippi, which was established by Paul in Acts chapter 16. They realize that he's in a hardship situation, so they collect some money and they send it down to Paul. He writes this letter thanking them for their gift, but also encouraging them along the way. Uh, Paul also realizes that in that particular church, there are some folks that he calls Judaizers. Now, Judaizers are folks who absolutely believed in Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, the one that Scripture spoke of, but they also believed, because they were Jews, that you had to hang on to the way things have always been. You got Jesus, but you've also got to hang on to the law. And they're trying to get those Greeks that are part of the church in Philippi to agree to that, to say, yeah, that's, that's what we need. We've, we've got to have Jesus, but we've also got to do some things along the way to make us righteous or worthy for the calling of Christ. And these guys that Paul calls Judaizers, they were really legalists. They, they said, yeah, you've got to have Jesus, but you need something else as well. That's, that's not exactly the whole picture. Paul wants to make them aware in verse 2, beginning. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say, you must be circumcised to be saved. And Paul wants to remind those Christians at the church in Philippi that they have been offered a better way, that indeed Jesus Christ has done everything that they need for salvation. Yet these folks make a decision to say, no, you need one and the other. You and I have known some folks like that in our church years, haven't we? Growing up in the church, uh, people that you've known that are family or friends that, that might say, yeah, absolutely, you need Jesus, but, but you've got to dress a certain way. You, absolutely, you've got to have Jesus Christ, uh, but you can't really have any tattoos. Yes, you need Jesus Christ, but you've got to make sure you're at the church building every time the door is open. Yes, you've got to have Jesus Christ, and you've got to be doing all these things that we are saying would make you righteous before God. Paul is aware that it's happening in the church, and he wants to remind them to live intentionally, to live how Jesus Christ has called them to live, not how maybe some folks are having them live. And so Paul, kind of tongue-in-cheek, begins in verse 3, reminding them of what this might look like. And so in verse 3, Paul says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Because I was circumcised when I was eight days old, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees 
who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, well, I obeyed the law without a fault. Paul, tongue-in-cheek, is kind of laying out his resume here to say, listen, you tell the Judaizers that if they think they've got it together, I'm the guy who really had it together. If there ever was a guy who was righteous in front of God, it was me. After all, I was raised right. I mean, I hit the target each and every time. I was born into the right family, the tribe of Benjamin, by the way, the only son of the 12 who was actually born in the promised land. And Paul says, "That's, that's my tribe. He goes on to continue to talk about his resume and how he's achieved all of these credentials. At any one time, there were never more than 300 Pharisees in all of Israel. And Paul says, I was one of those guys. I I was one of the elite, the best of the best. I dictated and fixed what you could and could not do. As a matter of fact, I obeyed every rule and regulation there was, even the 613 extra rules that we put on everybody to keep them righteous before God. Paul says, hmm, if there ever was a guy that could get into heaven, (laughs) that guy's me. Of course, he's talking tongue and cheek. Because he begins, again, in verse 7, humbly saying, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ My hope is for God's way of making us right with himself, depending on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And Paul is pleading with the church. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done and nothing more that gets you right with God. He's laid out his resume, but in verse 8, He says, everything I just mentioned to you, I count skubala, which is the Greek word literally translated excrement. He says, that that resume I just showed you is absolutely worthless. It means nothing in the sight of God. Paul says, many of you are trying to live a godly life out of your own determination. And he goes on to say, I'm actually overqualified to be a Christian. But look what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to rely on the righteousness that comes from God through his son, Jesus Christ, what he did for me on the cross. It's nothing that I do, no work that I have done to gain salvation, but everything that God has done for me. And if you look at the bulk of Paul's writing in all the New Testament, certainly he has standards. I mean, we can't just sit on a couch and hope for the best. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, look, there's a certain way that we live when we fully understand and know what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no amount of work that will gain you salvation. And the difference in the two is that those that would be works-oriented would say, I've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to be right with God. 
Paul is saying the truth is we're already right with God and because of his love and mercy for me, I want to live this way. Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 9 and following, if you want to read that text, Paul lists out the type of behavior that we would have if we truly follow Jesus Christ, the type of person we would be. But it's the idea that God's already done enough for you and for me. He's got a standard, but he says there are some ways that we can grow in his work in the New Testament. But it's not a list of regulations of do's and don'ts that Paul puts out there for us, that we're called to depend on the Holy Spirit to direct us and lead us in life. I'll give you an example. Most of us have an errand list once a week, something that we have to go out and, and take care of, some thing that we have to go buy, for instance. And maybe this particular Saturday, you think, this is the day. I've got to go take care of my list. I've got some things I need to purchase, but we've got a late start from home. We have a little bit of breakfast and some late coffee, and we decide to get out on the road and accomplish what's on our list of errands to run. What we forgot was that this particular day, there is a motorcycle rally across the street here at the Harley Place. Uh, Trader's Village is fully functioning. There's a car show down at the Parks Mall. Uh, I mean, it is a crazy weekend in Grand Prairie. There's traffic everywhere, so we're already slowed down. But we're pretty determined to get our list accomplished We want a really, really good push broom, and so we're going to go buy Ace Hardware, and we're going to pick that thing up. Uh, And then as I look at my list, I realize, hey, spring cleaning is happening. Spring is here. Uh, And so I want to buy some spring-scented candles, and so I'm going to go to the mall, and I'm going to pick those up at that special candle store that I will not name. But uh, we're going to go there, and we're going to pick those up. They didn't pay me for commercials, so as as a joke, as a joke. Uh, also, I, I know that I need some groceries, bread and milk. You know what? I'm going to go buy Tom Thumb, but on my way home, I'm going to go buy a- and get that. I've got to pick up my prescription at Walgreens, but uh, when I go down to do that, I'm also going to stop in at Jiffy Lube because I've got an oil change I've got to get done. I'm going to have to wait there a little while. And then on the way home, I will go buy Tom Thumb, head to the house, get home just in time to cook dinner for the family. They've been waiting. And by this moment, you are frustrated and tired, exhausted. Now, spiritually speaking, sometimes we end up like that in our life, don't we? Spiritually frustrated and exhausted because we've also got a list that we're trying to accomplish. I need a little more patience in my life from my church family. I need to to be more compassionate toward my spouse. I need to bring the anger level down as I talk and discuss things with my kids at home. I I need to be the spiritual leader of my my family, my wife, my kids, my husband. I need to do those things that would would wreak Jesus Christ in our home. I need to, at work, really focus on the positive and not the negative. I need a huge dose of love in my life to spread around to all those I come in contact with now we're working on creating that list but like our other Aaron list what I didn't mention was and I won't mention this place by name but there is guess what a a one-stop shop there's one place you could go to pick up all of those things And, and like our own spiritual life Jesus Christ has all that for us But you and I in our life, we we think that we have to spell it out. We have to create the errand list, that we've got to work to achieve those things. When Paul simply says, follow Jesus. 
Just follow Jesus. Just love on people and love God. That's what we're called to do in Christ Jesus. And when we make a decision to fully invest and be intentional about our purpose here on earth, that is glorifying God, loving God, and loving the people around us without nitpicking everything, that's when we will have the joy, the peace, the reduced anger, and the list goes on and on. Paul says, follow Jesus. It's just about that. We take something easy and make it difficult. We take something that should be simple and we make it so hard on everyone else. We've got a whole list that we're frustrated with uh, achieving. And maybe in your own life you're thinking, I'd love to to have something in my daily life that would help me move in that direction. I want to offer you guys a resource. Uh, We're reading a book in our staff. Every other week we sit down and we talk about a chapter of that. It's called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And if you don't have that book, I want to encourage you to get it. Uh, It is a great way to really take some, some inventory of where you're at, where your soul is. What's going on in your life? How could you be more of the person that God's calling you to be? And I think John does a great job of kind of leading you through uh, some of the ideas that might get you closer to having less stress in your life and more joy, as Paul talks about. Now, Paul's not talking about religion here in chapter 3. See, if you were to take all of the churches in America, if you were to take the data that's been collected uh, recently in those churches, and you were to ask a a question like, if you're a family who attends a certain church at a certain location, how would you say or define that you are a very active and involved member at that location? The data would reveal that that family attends that church two and a half times a month on a Sunday. At least once a year, one time a year, one event, we're involved in one ministry event, and I tithe or give on Easter and Christmas. That's the definition for a family that would say they're super involved in a congregation. Now, Paul is saying, if that's the way you're living life, you're not building a relationship with God or people. You can't do it. We've got to lean into what God has for us in our life through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can't wake up upset after two weeks thinking that everything is going to be resolved and it's all going to be good because it's a process that you and I are in. We're going to read in just a minute. Paul says, not that I've already achieved this. Even Paul, we would say, is probably one of the greatest Christians of all time. He even says, I'm not there yet. It's a process. I'm in the making, so to speak. And we can't get frustrated and upset because we're not there yet. It's a process that you and I go through. But Paul here, he says, look, your DNA, it says that you're the son and daughter of a king. That's what your DNA says. Not what the world tells you, but what God tells you. Don't settle for the petty lists that other people may create for you because Jesus Christ says it's already done. You don't need anything else but me and my blood. That's what makes you righteous. My grandmother, my dad's mother, before she passed several years ago, uh, dad would tell me that she would often say, I hope I've done enough to get in. And many times I think we 
are saying those same things, maybe not out loud, but I hope I've done enough. Here's some homework I want to give you, and I know it's Sunday, it's not a school day, but here's some homework for you. Do this before tonight you go to bed. I want you to get out a piece of paper, and this is for you. It's not for your spouse to look at, not for your kids to look at, but I want you to get that piece of paper, and I want you to write down all the regrets that you have in your life. Those moments that you wished would go away, you wished weren't there, but they're part of your history. They're who you are. You you wished things had been different, but they ended up not being different. I want you to write those down on a list. And when you finish that list, I want you to wad it up and throw it in the trash because that's what Jesus Christ did with them. You and I have got to stop parking our car in the past where the regrets live. We've got to lean forward into the story that God has for us and his son, Jesus Christ. He so desperately wants to bless us, but for whatever reason, we won't leave those regrets. We won't walk away and lean into all the joy, the peace, the understanding that Jesus Christ wants to bestow upon us. You and I are called to a different type of of living. And so Paul continues his letter in verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul says, I'm going to forget about the past, the regrets I have. And I'm going to lean forward into the story that Jesus Christ wants us to lean forward into. Church, it's time for you and I to focus on Jesus. It's time for you and I to stop focusing on the pettiness of other people around us and focus on Jesus. It's time to run the race and to gain the blessing that God so desperately wants to put for us in our life. You see, when we make our Christian walk about a list when we try to achieve and mark off, guess what? We, we fail every stinking time. Every time. You want joy in your house and the angry bug is at home instead of the flu bug. You want some, some debt control in your life and you know that you need to be repurposing some of what you're doing towards serving others, but then you get the credit card bill from the Christmas gifts. It's February. You made some promises January 1 that you haven't fulfilled yet. You've already blown the diet. You've already gone to that website. You've already raised your voice. You've already used the credit card. And if you and I aren't careful, we end up living in the past where those regrets lie. And Paul says, if that is you, start today living in my story because I have such wonderful things for you. If you'll be that person, you and I can depend on that while we lean into what the Holy Spirit can and will do in our life. There are a couple of things, though, that I want to share with you this morning that, uh, that will help us, I think, on the journey, so to speak. And the first one is this. Recognize the power of each other. I don't know in my life within the church how many times I've heard someone get upset because of what someone said or what someone did or what someone didn't do. Guess what? The church is made up of people. And we're not perfect. Nobody is. 
We've got to focus on Jesus instead of the pettiness of other people. We've got to lean into that story that we're called to lean into. Three times Paul calls the church in Philippi brothers and sisters. He knows he's got a community. He knows he's got a family that is far north of him from where he currently is. We're called to run this race together, not alone. Some of us believe maybe we can do it alone. There's a saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I don't know about you, but I need you. I can't do this thing alone. I need you in my life to encourage. And those tough moments when I have expressed myself and the sin in my life to close brothers around me, every time without fail, there has been an incredibly strong embrace, never shunned, because you are my family. You know I'm human. You know I fall down. I say things I don't mean to. And I want you on the journey with me. I want you and I to experience what God has for us together. The second thing is this. Recognize the power of prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 14, he says, whatever is on your heart, whatever you think is there, if it's for me in my name, I'll make it happen. Jesus says, simply ask me in prayer and I'll make it come to fruition. How many of us believe in the power of prayer? It is an incredible thing. And maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't know how to pray. It's simply talking to another friend. There's no special way that you need to pray, no wording that needs to be just right. But look in our bulletin. There are people that are down and out that need prayers. There are events that are coming up that we need the Lord to bless. And maybe you're thinking, well, I do that, but is there something more? I want to encourage you to, this week sometime, go to a website called prayercast.com. You can click on any nation of the world, any type of people groups in the world, and it'll give you kind of a summary of what's going on in the world in that moment. And then you can pray for the bullet points that they have there. For instance, if you click on Kenya, you can learn a little bit about the government and what they need prayer for. Maybe Honduras, where we're going this summer on one of our mission trips. Pray for what's happening in Honduras. Maybe downtown Dallas. Wherever it is, click on it, and you'll have some idea on what you can pray for. But you and I, we have a choice. We can lean into, like Paul calls us to, the story that God has for us. The blessing that we can reap because we've made a decision. You and I have a choice. We can keep doing things the way we've always done them and guess what? Get the same result. Or we can intentionally live with purpose for the glory of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I want to try at least. I hope that I've got you right there by my side to walk in this journey, this thing we call life. Paul says, live intentionally for God's glory. That's the call this morning. I want to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage right now to lead us in a couple of more songs our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room and as we sing maybe you've got something going on in your life that you need prayer for go to one of our shepherd couples and let them lay hands on you pray with you pray over you and for you so that whatever is hindering you in your walk with christ can be put aside can be put in the past and you can lean toward the future that god wants for you in your life let's stand together and sing